Hi, my name's Mark McCartney and welcome to the What is a Good Life podcast. For those of you that followed the newsletter last year, where I interviewed 120 people around this question of what is a good life, the objective remains very much the same. I'm trying to provide you with tools and content that help you find and define your own answer to this question. While I'm also trying to reveal more of what I perceive to be genuine expressions of the human experience. I'm hoping that the guests that I'm interviewing will provide you with new modes and methods of self-inquiry that ultimately help you to understand yourself better. This is just the second episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. On today's episode, we have Nora Dietrich. Nora is a fully qualified CBT psychotherapist. She's also the interim head of psychology of a mental health care group based in Berlin called Like-Minded. As well as working with individuals and couples, Nora works extensively with organizations, trying to break dusty old taboos around mental health and creating healthier new ways of working. I discovered Nora through following her posts on LinkedIn, I find Nora's approach to discussing mental health to be very genuine, very empathetic, and therefore very refreshing. So I was really looking forward to having the opportunity to sitting down and talking about mental health more extensively with Nora. In this conversation, Nora provides lots of interesting and refreshing takes on mental health, as well as providing us with lots of examples of how we can serve ourselves and other people better. I learned a lot from this conversation. I suspect you will too. Without further ado, the second episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. First of all, Nora, uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, I'm very grateful to have you here. And the question I have to kick things off for you is, is there a question that you're trying to answer as you move through life? Wow, what a powerful question. Um, I think the main question I ask myself is, how does a truly lived life for me actually look like and how can I support others in finding theirs? Because I feel often in life we're distracted by the circumstances around us, by people, by trends, by social media, whatever is put in front of us, it seems like the path and we all try to squeeze our interests and needs and wishes into these like already established paths until we sometimes wake up and think, oh, wait a minute, is that even my way? Or have I, you know, missed um, yeah, a moment to actually live what is important to me? And I feel like often when I work with people in one-on-one -on -one sessions and therapy or coaching, we get to this point and the question is what do I actually want how does success look like for me and not in the professional sense but in the life sense and the lived sense so this is I think the main question I try to answer is like how can I bring my internal world to the outside and feel congruent with that feel that things match up in a way um, without ignoring what is inside of me but I think that's really hard to own oneself and to work through everything that's hindering us, all those old beliefs and maybe even traumatic events that cause us to people please, to go with what is in front of us instead of what is inside of us. So yeah, maybe a very general answer, but what is a truly lived life and how can I start manifesting that? How can I start living it without the fear of what other people might think of me when I step off the beaten path? So in that, then there's a, a sense of kind of ownership or that you're writing the story as you go through it as well. Yes, I think self-authorship is like one of the stages that I try to support others in, in getting to. 
Um, it's like, I can write my story. Otherwise, it will be written for me, no question. Life will take over. It will write it for me if I don't yeah, basically take that steering wheel into my own hands and say, okay, what do I want and what do I need based on my biography, but also based on yeah, how I want to look back on life when I'm old and think, yes, hell yeah, that was a really good ride. <laughs> it was adventurous. <laughs> I got like beaten up sometimes, but I also had a lot of uplifting moments that I cherish. I know I've never asked this question before, but uh, what is your the evolution of that relationship with that steering wheel been like for you? Oh, I think it's like very ambivalent. <laughs> so I had, I had years where I was able to break through my own armor. You know, like when you, when you think about your own biography, we all had moments that were painful. We call those adverse childhood experiences or moments where we suffered, where we faced pain. And these moments leave marks even wounds or scars, and they sometimes make us more rigid and flexible. Um, they cost us our own trust to believe in what is inside of us. So then we actually get distracted by life. This is what I meant by life takes over. Like if we don't take that on ownership because we cannot yet, then yeah, it will be taken care of. So for me, it was the same. Like sometimes I got distracted by my own compensatory behaviors like I'm a really hard worker I'm hyper independent it's really hard for me to let anyone in to help me I'm very ambitious and for a long time in my life I didn't really realize that this is like a trauma response that mm. I try to stay on top of things as best as I can but what I didn't see is that it cost me a lot of energy and that it's actually not necessarily me, me, you know, that there's a different force inside of me um, that doesn't need to compensate through perfectionism and hard work, but that can also just be at ease with oneself, that can live life without always achieving, you know, things, but actually be in community, be with friends, be, ex yeah, exploratory um, and curious. But, yeah, for a long time... I think the trauma response was the steering wheel. <laughs> and sometimes it still is. Like I can, yeah, even yeah. though I know these things, I can literally draw you all my patterns and like biographical, like, you know, harsh moments. I can draw them all on like 20 flip charts. I know my shit, if I can say it that way, but I, it's still so hard to change it. So I feel like sometimes in life there are phases where I'm like, okay, I'm on top of things and I don't need that armor anymore. And then there are other moments where I fall back into that patterning because of fear. And that's okay. I think healing is a lifelong journey. So sometimes I author myself and sometimes I allow others <laughs> to write a chapter here and there. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope you have some good uh, co-writers co or ghostwriters. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah. hope so too. <laughs> yeah. But it isn't, I think that is... It's it's come up, I think, in a in a few interviews that I've done. This almost this recognition that like I know my shit. I see these patterns, and there's something I don't know. There's something almost not that it's a passive thing that we fall into, but it's almost like life can just take it. Like sometimes we're just going with the flow of whatever uh, current is is pulling us, and and I, and I think this idea of well, you mentioned there are two words like perfectionism and then curiosity. I think curiosity is almost the gateway out of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. You know, like this sense of 
when you could put everything up on 20 flip charts uh, or 25 flip charts and you know what the right the right thing to do is but then when you don't do it i think they kind of instead of that beating ourselves up thing it's like oh wow isn't isn't this amazing that i know all this stuff and yet still for, for me i'm eating this tub of hagendas even though i said i'm not going to eat it this morning <laughs> Yeah, I think it's so true. I think like the self-compassion and maybe even the pride of look at what I survived. Look at what commentary behaviors I developed and how intelligent they were for the moment being when I was a child or a young teen or a young adult. You know, like all of these behaviors, there are not disorder what we always say you know like when we talk about mental illness we say it's a disorder you know but actually all of these patterns they try to make order to the disorder we were experiencing and when we see it that way like reframe it then all of a sudden it's a powerful source of look at what I did yes maybe those behaviors are not really adaptive anymore today they don't have the same positive impact on my life anymore so yes I can question them and I can try to change them um but to like stop and take a deep breath and look at what we actually managed to create to get to the point where we're at and be proud and even grateful for that i think is sometimes that we miss out on as a society to be honest you know we just look at the disorder and what doesn't work and where we have to be instead of where we came from and what we managed to cope with um and i think that is also a like um a part of healing is to yeah acknowledge oneself and you know acknowledge what we are capable of doing even though the circumstances were so hard or harsh or even yeah painful how do you either help yourself or clients with that process and so far as you know if one bad thing happens in our life just the way our almost from an evolutionary biology point of view we kind of look focus on the problem so much because mm -hmm. I, I really like this idea that like I was talking to someone this week and it's like yes the world in a way is kind of fucked but it's also so wonderful at the same time and I don't know it's almost like it seems like too heavy a paradox to acknowledge or something it has to be one or the other mm -hmm. how do you kind of even in yourself maybe get comfortable with acknowledging yes there may be even on a personal level there's things to to work on but wow look what I've done so far mm -hmm. I mean it's an uphill battle to be honest because I think what we think is that we have to solve paradoxes like mm -hmm. as you say we have to decide it's one or the other it cannot be both at the same time but to me a paradox is nothing to solve but something to hold Yeah. We have to learn that life doesn't make sense all the time. You know, that, for example, in every private relationship we have, we need distance and we need closeness. I look different at my partner at a party when he's flirting with someone else. I somehow, you know, like the desire is woken up again. But then, you know, there, there comes fear. Or like we need the autonomy of doing what we want while also being very safely bonded to someone else. So we have like these paradoxic needs all the time. And to not see it at either or, but to as well as like, yes, I need autonomy while being closely bonded with someone is hard to balance, but it's exactly where we're at. So for me, I always imagine like almost like a seesaw and sometimes the weight is a bit more on one side and sometimes the weight is a bit more on the other side, but it's moving constantly. 
like balance is always in motion. Like there's not one still point and now I got it, you know, I have the answer and this is where I need to stay put for the rest of my life. But to understand that we are in motion as well. And sometimes we are leaning too far to the one end, you know, to learn, okay, let me like walk back, you know, to the other end. Um, so I try to establish that um, in my clients, but also in me when I feel the need to solve things, to actually like zoom out and think about, is there actually a solution or is it more about the percentages, you know, um, that I have to rearrange to feel a bit more centered again. Um, I think that's one part. Um, the other part is what we just discussed, is to actually look back on your own life with pride and acknowledgement and compassion um, but it's also then to look, of course, into the future and say, okay, what is worth changing for myself, not for others? Because a lot of people start therapy, for example, motivated by others, like the fear of losing someone around them or the pressure they get from their system or their bosses or whoever. And that is usually not really helpful, at least for long-term healing processes. It has to come from within. And this is something we work on to say why is it worth for you to change and then we just do that in tiny steps you know it's not about this like oh you think about yourself as being ugly or unworthy and now just start loving yourself like, it's just <laughs> not doable and I hate it when people say like yeah just use positive affirmations and then you're like you know you're healed it's like if life was that easy oh my god you know where, where, yeah, where yeah. would we be as a society um, but to say, let's do little tiny experiments and establish this sense of self-efficacy. Like, I can take over. I can take that steering wheel. And I have a say. I have a voice. And let me try that out. And let me fall. And let me get, like, you know, scratches. And let me cry about things. But it's okay. And we can figure out together a way to establish new behaviors. And through that behavior, usually, then the self-esteem grows. You know, like sometimes we think we have to love ourselves to then love someone else or we have to first love ourselves to then change things. But usually it's the other way around. I see that I can do something and then I acknowledge, oh, wait a minute, I can fucking do this, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then our self-esteem grows. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think the the word you use there, experiment, is such a nice one. Like, And once again, in, in, in trying to love ourselves a little bit more, like the word experiment gives us so much room, I think. Like I'm going to try this and it may or may not work. I think sometimes when we're making decisions, we're kind of projecting this has to be me for life. Like it's not just a phase of experimentation. Yeah. And I think experiment means I will fail. Yeah. You know, like when you think about going to the gym, like we go to the gym to literally fail. We're going to work so hard until we can't do no more. You know, until we like are in pain or we cannot live that weight again. And like we, we try to push that point of how far can I go? And it's very normal there. But in our life, we're always afraid of failing, of doing something wrong, of, I don't know, not having the answers. But it's time to change that. And I think there's a beautiful quote. I right now don't know who, who said that, but curiosity is not monogamous. Hmm. But we try to make it monogamous, you know, like, but we have to start being polyamorous when it comes to who we could be. Like, how can I be in love with myself in different ways or different areas of life? You know, we try to like be 20 years old and know what to study and then do a profession and stay in it to, to get to the success. You know, we have 
in our minds. And I remember when we talked for the first time, you were saying like, I lived so many lives already. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. still don't know who I'm going to be when I'm grown up. <laughs> and I have the same. I'm like, right now, I'm very happy with where I am. But I know in five years, I will be a completely different person when it comes to my professional life, for example. And that's so cool, you know, instead of saying, oh, no, I should be more linear because everybody else has been in this career for 40 years and I should have the answer as well. It's like, no, curiosity is not monogamous. I want to figure things out and I want to be distracted in a positive way and be allowed to follow that inclination, you know? Yeah, I, I really like the idea of having, let's say, one foot in order and one foot in chaos. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know like yeah pay your bills and, and that kind of thing and, and file your taxes these are these are no bad things um, <laughs> but just I don't know to just to let yourself fall into because that's the interesting thing you don't know where your curiosity if if you're being truly open to your curiosities you don't always need you don't always know where they're going to take you of course like kind of have some handrails in life that or people to lean on or to support you if maybe you take a chance and and you can still be caught when you fall but or even just help you get back up when you fall, maybe better um, way to say it. But just this sense that it's it's like, I don't know, it's an adventure to some degree. I, I think it's amazing that I think as humans, we, we've, especially let's say in Europe or something, and let's say a certain economic class or something, we have so much comfort. And it's like this thing you were saying earlier, like I need some security, but I also need th this as well. Like, I think we've made ourselves so comfortable and then we're kind of wondering why we don't feel as much or mm -hmm. we don't like we take so few chances and we were wondering why we don't feel as alive if you know what I mean and none of this is a prescription for everyone else to I don't know pack in their job or, or like reckless decisions or something but this is a give and take like you're like the level of a like aliveness you feel in your life there will be some uh, like correlation between that and the curiosity that you have or the risks that you take or the amount of experiments that you embark upon so true yeah I feel like especially aliveness is something that we all crave but life as it is right now always rather leans towards stability hmm. and order and being able to foresee the next step But then you see at some point people break out of their like perfect picket fence homes, you know, they break out like in from their like perfect partnerships because they missed out on living those aspects as well, you know, to keep the balance. And for example, when you work with couples, I, I used to work with couples a lot and often they come because of infi infidelity, you know, someone cheated on the other. And then you can like people always get angry with the one with a cheater basically to say like how could you like destroy our lives you know everything was so perfect and now you went and and yeah just just destroyed everything we had and yes we can get angry at that and be moral about it but if you actually take the time to ask the cheater you know like um what made them do that then often is it is a need for aliveness it's a need to feel a part of themselves that they forgot about so it's not necessarily against the partner. It's usually for myself, something I crave that I long within me that I then take, get somewhere else. And maybe the way they did it was not nice. I'm not like, yeah, I don't yeah, have yeah. an opinion about cheating. I'm not saying pro cheat, you know, but like <laughs> the idea is just to understand what is behind that behavior. What is the driver? And it's very, very rarely something um, that has a negative intention or wants to hurt someone. It's more like, I need to feel this part of me. 
I need to step into, I don't know, the femme fatale because I couldn't. I'm always the mother at home. But I need this part of me to stay in balance, to feel like life is worth living. And I think we have to figure out a way to do that in 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 healthy ways, you know, maybe with less with causing less pain in others. Um, but to bring that aliveness back. And as you said, it can be adventure, it can be risk-taking, it can be curiosity, it can be yeah, desires and allow ourselves to live those. Yeah. Just, it's something I've seen you kind of uh, ride on before. Um, and just for anyone listening, um, I'd really recommend following Nora on LinkedIn. She writes some really beautiful things. Um, in terms of something you talk about uh, is kind of breaking um, taboos around mental health and things like this. And just even how you were talking there about relationships and how cheating could be perceived. What are some of the big mental health taboos that you look to kind of deconstruct? Mm. I think, first of all, what we already talked about is like this notion of disorder, disease, you know, like the, the idea of you are wrong. This is abnormal. Um it's just such a horrendous idea because mental illness is a way of a system to say, I need support. I'm not at ease. There's something in my life, like this ease means I'm not at ease. There's something in my life disrupting me or that ha has disrupted me in the past and I need support and I need to change something. This is what mental illness tries to tell us. It's like, hey, there's something else out there for you and we need to create health around that. And to understand it that way, um, without the stigma of you're wrong, you're crazy, you you know, like, whatever, you don't have your shit together. Um, because mental illness is an invitation, a late one, it's a late invitation to say, okay, it's time to change. But it is an invitation. And if we see it that way, I think it helps people to actually seek help instead of shaming themselves, you know, and not allowing themselves to go out and say, I cannot figure this out on my own. Like if we just look at the numbers, like for people on average to seek help when they suffer from depression is two years. From anxiety, it's 13 on average. So people suffer for 13 years alone by themselves because they fear what might other people think, you know, or what does it mean if I actually live the veil and look at my own stuff. And I think we have to change that. I mean. You know, imagine living with like severe back pains for 13 years and never telling anyone that you actually cannot carry that, you know. 13 anymore. years is wild. An average, you know, so yeah, yeah, some yeah, people yeah. are far, far beyond that point. And so, yeah, to, to see it as an invitation and as something normal, because most of us will experience a phase in life where we suffer from, you know, a depressive episode or anxiety. So it's rather normal than abnormal. The same with these adverse childhood experiences. Most of us have some sort of wounds that we carry. And yeah, we have to break that stigma, you know? Like if it's rather human than non-human, <laughs> then who are we, you know? You know, you know it's, it's funny when you say that because, and I think there's also this idea around if it's not diagnosed, it doesn't exist, <laughs> you know? So I remember when I, I saw a clinical psychologist when I was 31 or 32 for the first time and lots of anxiety in my life. And, you know, uh, uh, the way you're describing it now, when anxiety comes into my life now, it's a bit of an alarm clock. Like I can, mm -hmm. I can sense it in an early point now before it's too late. But I remember talking to a, a good friend of mine who's probably listening 
and I was describing, I was saying, like, do you not think based on some of your behavior, I was a bit defensive that you have anxiety. And he's like, no. I was like, what about the time you pulled the car over on the side of the highway and your heart was beating like a jackhammer? <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, it was a bit of a stressful day. But <laughs> so when you say 13 years in some cases, and even my own approach, I, I'm sure when I look back on things, even things in terms of my, my, my relationship with alcohol, like I'm sure there was a lot of self-medicating going on mm -hmm. all through my 20s. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think I just learned the other day and I think it's like such a wow moment, at least for me, that fine, like when we ask, you know, how are you? And someone responds with fine, that fine is actually an acronym for, for feelings inside not expressed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that changes my life. You know, like... <laughs> You know, like to think it's just the wrong question, you know, like how are you is like maybe not the right question. Maybe we have to ask, like, how are you feeling? What are the feelings inside of you? Because then you cannot say fine, like that answer doesn't make any sense anymore. Or like the idea that stress, because stress is like a, a word that we started seeing as something okay. It's okay enough to be stressed at work, to be stressed at home. But what is stress? Like stress is a response of your body that says there's like some sort of overwhelm that we have to cope with. Um, and to me, stress, like the word that as we use it, is almost like a lid on top of a pot full of emotions that we are not even able to name ourselves. Yeah. You know, so because we always put the lid on, the things start bubbling and I'm not actually addressing what's underneath. Because if I always have the same... Yeah, strategy to cope with stress in your case let's say alcohol for example you know like I'm stressed so I'm going to have a nice glass of wine in the evening and it's going to be resolved then this is something I cannot copy paste just with like onto other emotions as well you know like so maybe I how can I phrase that so for example if I'm angry anger tells me that you might have overstepped my boundary that there's something not really serving me But if I then just have a glass of wine, that won't solve, you know, the boundaries that I haven't established. Yeah. But when I'm sad, that might say I lost something that I truly loved, that was truly important to me. Let me have a glass of wine. Doesn't bring back the, the person or the thing, nor does it give me the sense of community and being supported and held that sadness actually wants me to go for. You know, so whenever I just name it stress, and I use the same one or two coping mechanisms, it won't solve the root cause. Yeah. It won't meet my need because I haven't even asked what is my need underneath. So we have to take and, up that lid of stress, you know, yeah, and go yeah. into and, the nitty gritty of emotions. I think though, even going back to when I said this idea of in, in let's say in Europe, um, that we're very, very comfortable. I think we're given pain a really bad rep. Like, mm -hmm. You know, even even if the reaction to someone, if someone says they have a headache, oh my God, are you okay? Like, do you, have you taken this? Have you taken, like, it's straight away, like, as opposed to maybe even going, hmm, what am I eating at the moment? What I, I like, I know some people just get sick for this and it's, it's out of their control, but there seems to be like pain shows up and then it's almost like we call an emergency services group and we just try to, <laughs> you know, dismantle, take away the pain as soon as it shows up. And I think there's something really unhelpful about that perspective 
Mm, yeah. And I, I think like it's so interesting. I was just reading the book, The Myth of Normal by Gabo Mate, which yeah. is a must read for literally everyone who's interested in, yeah. in that field because it's a tough read, but it's a beautiful read as well. And he also goes into um, many, many studies showing that a lot of autoimmune diseases, for example, like multiple sclerosis or, um, you know, like even Morbus Crohn, like all of these these diseases that somehow say, okay, body, let me destroy myself, um, are usually caused or have a, a history in trauma and suppressed emotions. Wow. Because somehow like we store that energy in, inside of us and the body just thinks, okay, let me cope with it. How can I do that? How can I make you aware that something is not okay and pain is one way, disease is one way to tell us something is not okay. Look at it and try to figure out what it is to solve it. And I think this is just a completely different notion of understanding disease as a message delivery service you know like yeah. knock knock something is going on <laughs> you know take yeah. take a deep look and figure out if there's something you can change doesn't mean it's our own fault it doesn't mean you know it's not about pointing fingers it's just to open the realm of solutions that is not just a pill you know or not just a surgery but there are other ways of healing that we can take into account yeah and i, I don't know i guess like there's there seems to be a certain sense where we're you know, even if somebody is asked the question, how are you doing? And if you're to be honest and just say, you know, I feel a, feel a bit angry today. Like, there's just a certain level of comfort with anything other than happy would be nice. You know, like you're feeling, oh, what's wrong? This is terrible. No, no, we're just, you know, I have, a, I have a local coffee shop where they know they see me every morning. So they're used to my ways at this stage. And I'll, I'll drop in a little thing like that every so often just to see if they're listening to me. Um, <laughs> um, but they're, at the start, it's like it was almost like I'd um, set off a foghorn or something. If you start just saying I'm a bit sad or a bit angry, like I'm not in a, I knew them well enough now. I wasn't trying to just dump my stuff on them, just a, a small insight. But it's it's really interesting how. I don't know just how much aversion we either have to pain or some degree of suffering, even though it just seems so inevitable and kind of so normal. Like there's a lot like I really enjoy my life and I'll be very I'll be quite boisterous about saying that, too. Like if if someone asks me and I'm in that kind of mood and um, but it's it's this kind of thing where I just think, I don't know, there's just a more of an acceptance for the pulsing of life, like the. Mm the trees fall off or the leaves fall off the trees, they come back. Like, you know, it's just this kind mm -hmm. of like nice flow or, and sometimes life can be a bit messy and disjointed, but just an acceptance that this too shall pass kind of thing. Mm. And it's so interesting because when you think about the books we love reading and the movies we love watching and the moments where we felt the deepest connection with someone else, it's always messy and vulnerable and dramatic. And there's, suspension you know like i don't watch a movie where everything is happy like yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't care less you know like give me give me the drop you know give me yeah, yeah. the heartbeat give me the fear give me i don't know the anger you know like i want to live i want to feel but i think like there's so much underneath because like for one it's not only that we are lacking the skills to name how we actually feel and what the need is behind and actually care for that need like we we don't get trained in that if we don't have very conscious parents who know um but also the other side doesn't know how to cope with someone else's fears or anger or emotions that 
I cannot balance for myself. So how would I be able to co-regulate you in that sense? So we rather shy away. Because yeah. um, we, we are f afraid of not being of help, of being overwhelmed, of not having an answer. And often we don't need to have an answer. We don't need advice. We just uh, need someone listening. So true. Yeah. You know, like I figure it out, like no worries. I just wanted to say if I show up weird today, it's because I'm fuming, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. don't take it personal, you know, like it's my stuff. Um, I think this is like a major point that we are scared of not knowing the answer. And it's literally not about that because emotions regulate themselves. Like if they're allowed to be felt, and aired they usually pass like you cannot be angry for 48 hours straight the whole time you know like it just doesn't work the system yeah. couldn't couldn't hold that my record is 41 <laughs> <laughs> i love the <laughs> can really imagine you yeah. <laughs> you know like stopwatch like yeah, yeah um no but i think you know that this is something we have to open our hearts and say okay we are messy beings um, yeah and start loving that about ourselves and get rid of this notion of there are positive and there are negative emotions anger can be so freaking powerful it can be such an energizer you know and sometimes it's even fun like me and my, my partner i'm really bad at fighting and i'm really bad with anger like something yeah. i'm practicing but sometimes we start like not yelling at each other but really discussing things and sometimes i have to stop and laugh because it's so silly you know <laughs> like and it's so silly yeah um And I think that's beautiful, you know, like to say it's in me and there's this force and I'm speaking up and I have a voice and this is beautiful, you know. Um, so every emotion just makes sense. I, I absolutely love this. Yeah. And in in my relationship, like I'm the one that I'm the one that's been <laughs> more uh, predisposed to anger growing up. And, and my wife is uh, is almost the opposite in that sense. When she has when she has a proper moment of rage i'm almost like just applauding like you know what i mean like just like if i see her cry like i think it's a, an expression of emotion and i'm almost smiling if you know what i mean but when i see the rage or anger i'm like yes this is like yeah. no but like this is an expression of something there's movement and i and i think there's a a, a need for a, a kind of like a like at least a touch point on all of these things at some point to have you know going back to your idea of kind of writing your own life or your own soul, kind of your own expression showing up in the world. I think it has to have a flavor of all different parts of these emotions to be truly you. Like not just here's the happy side of me and I'll leave anger over here and I'll only show sadness and happiness or, or something to that effect. But I think what you did say there was a hugely important point was this idea that we don't have to have the answers and we don't have to have the solution. Like that I think is so kind of underappreciated as an idea as to what will help us. It, it kind of touches mm -hmm. back on what you were saying, even in terms of paradoxes aren't there to be solved. They're there mm -hmm. to be seen and observed and kind of accepted. And just like what you're saying as well, like sometimes your emotions will be, I feel like this because I'm literally a human. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with me. You'll meet me tomorrow and I, I could be in the best mood of my life. And today mm -hmm. I'm a little bit narky or something like this. But, you know, provided you're paying attention to the, the clues that they may be giving while accepting that it's an imperfect science or it's not so exact. And it's almost like a it's science meets art or something like that. Mm -hmm. like there's a yeah. there's a play or a balance with this stuff. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I just had to laugh inside because uh, me and my partner had the same. He was like at some point yelling at me and saying, Nora, be more irrational. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and of course, I have to say, like, of course, anger, for example, can be also a very destructive and hurtful so source. Like, oh. you know, it's always like, what is the, not only the quality of the emotion I feel, but also the quantity I show it with. But then again, to understand that was also a coping strategy. That's not anger as a raw emotion of anger. That's already, you know, anger usually sits on top of vulnerability, of sadness, of fear, you know, like, again, then it's just a coping mechanism and not really the raw emotion of anger. We have to understand these mechanisms inside of us. But yeah, as you said, like, let's sit with each other. Let's explore each other. Let's, you know, like open the gateways in a sense to say, let's be a bit more emotional, you know, um, because it holds so much wisdom that we, yeah, carry, but don't use in a way. Um, so I'm fully with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll echo your sentiments, Sarah. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> suggesting everyone just loses their shit at everyone, and, <laughs> and that's a very mature. And but I heard it on a podcast. Yeah. You know, it's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to know what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, in terms then of um, like I, when you're talking, thinking about the work you're doing, the life that you want to live, the way that you want to show up, and 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 to help people in in these areas. Just there was something you wrote before around the idea of, and you, you kind of touched on it, it here as well, like that not to view your mental health as just like a, like almost like a one player game, shall we say. Mm -hmm. How do you see that balance between, yes, taking accountability, yes, writing my own story. And then I think something that we're really bad at doing, like we're really good at trying to help everyone else when they're suffering. We're not mm -hmm. so good at asking for help when it's us. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of see that balance between, you know, personal accountability and then you're part of something? And even in trying to trace why I feel like this, that you don't put it all on yourself, like you are mm -hmm. part of a, a system as well. Yeah. Yeah, I always say that mental health is not a DIY project. It's not a do-it-yourself, you know, like yeah. we can only go get so far. Um, and to understand we are not independent beings. We are interdependent with the people around us, even the environment, you know, the nature, like all of these parts play a role inside of us. So there is something we, uh, we own, just us, that we can start solving and looking at, but we cannot do it without looking at the broader system, the community we are in. And also healing needs community. So when you think about a family, for example, in, in systemic therapy, we think about the person who actually maybe gets ill, you know, like develops a mental illness is not the weakest point, but they are the only one who were able to bring it to the surface, what's actually unhealthy in, within the system. So we just call them the symptom carrier. Um because they basically visualize what is going on around them. Mm. So then that also means the solution cannot be within that person. The solution only can lie within the system. And if you don't involve the system, then the question is, how far can I change? So if you think about, like, let me say I'm a people pleaser. I do everything for the people around me. And I'm the typical mother, you know, like I stay at home, I take care of the children, I take care of the household, I do everything to support my partner in being su successful at work. And everybody knows that about me, that if they ask me for something, I'm going to do it. Thank you for um, joining this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, like let's let's imagine that person and they identify as a helper. They identify as the one who takes over if things get messy. And that's a part of their identity. But let's imagine they they come to the point where they think, wait a minute, what is with me? Who's taking care of me? Who supports me? Who allows me to have needs and be seen for that for those? And then in therapy, they establish like boundaries and they go out into the world and say no to things and, you know, ask for help. And all of a sudden, the system is like, wait a minute, this is uncomfortable. It was so easy when you took care of everything, you know, <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. when you didn't have boundaries, because that meant I could put anything on you and you would say yes. So to understand that like change is uncomfortable and it will disrupt the patterns that we know and that sometimes can cause the system to be against it for for a while you know because yeah. your boundaries means i have to take care of myself and i don't want to do that um so yeah this is why we have to see ourselves in the bigger system because if i want to change the system has a has to allow me to do so otherwise they will push me like slowly they will push me back into my old role um just because it's easier um it's it's amazing how much comfort or discomfort someone stepping out of their role causes their like I don't know ecosystem for lack of better expression if you, if you know what I mean like it's it I, I don't know like sometimes I think maybe it could be because it illustrates that uh, somebody can change so then people reflect on their own behavior it's also to do with this boundary thing you're talking mm -hmm. about well I always you used to always do this for me and now you're not. <laughs> yeah, but I'm looking after myself. No, no, but you used to always do this for me. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's amazing. I think sometimes we're not even looking for what's best in a relationship. We're mm -hmm. almost just looking for consistency. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think another thing you said there, though, which is, which is interesting to me is just even the idea of when someone goes through change and it can be messy and these kind of things. Like, I think there's this really unhealthy expectation that when someone either starts, let's say, therapy, a journey of self-inquiry, they start doing maybe some more self-development or self-help things or whatever it may be, that maybe because they're at a low ebb that they think things are just going to get better in a kind of a linear way from that point on. You know, things are just going to start improving. And I, and I don't know, I think it'd be also helpful if I don't know, even the way some of this stuff is sold that people would just go, Oh, you could just be opening Pandora's box now. And it could be even more of a shit show for a, few, a number of months, maybe mm -hmm. up to a year until you start to really see the, I don't know, you reap the benefits of what you've sowed um, earlier on in the process. So true. Um, I think this is like this idea of therapy is ugly. It's, such an ugly process until it gets beautiful <laughs> it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and we have to know that i also like sometimes when or usually when i start therapy with someone i we talk about the side effects like the negative side effects of people not liking your process of not wanting you to establish boundaries that there might be conflict arising that you might be looking at yourself with a different lens and that's not always a beautiful lens if you understand oh this is where i cheated myself this is where you know i maybe was like unfair to others around me whatever like we have to start owning those parts and that's freaking hard that's why we talk call it shadows because we don't want to look at them usually you know we turn our backs we always want to look into the sun and think oh yeah <laughs> like these great parts of me and um, but there's like stuff and i always say like 
it sounds judgy, but it's not meant that way at all. Um, I always say like humans are secretly disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. in a sense, no, no, you know, no, like I, I complete that. I completely get that. Everybody who has been on a female toilet, like, you know, <laughs> what's happened, uh, what happens when nobody watches and, you know, but this is the, the idea. We all have that. And instead of pretending I don't, but you, you know, and pointing fingers, it's like, no, we all have shadow sides and they might be ugly and they might be messy and unfair and hurtful. And, but instead of pretending they're not there and reliving them again and again, it's like, let me own them and let me look at them, you know, each piece with curiosity and say, where did you come from yeah. <laughs> and how do you help me somehow in a weird way um and what do i need to do to own you or to change you or just to accept you and say yes i'm not perfect i'm flawed and you know i i do these things um yeah so again therapy is ugly but it leads us to a far more holistic view of ourselves and and then by extension the world around you like you know you see people behaving in certain ways and instead of this kind of shock and disdain for somebody else's behaviors because maybe you've looked at the whole landscape of or as much of the landscape as you could view of yourself and you're like oh wow from what i perceive to be my my highest or my most virtuous behavior and my darkest behavior there's quite a range here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, this is not such a, I don't know, a, a, this is not such a clear picture or an uncomplicated um, picture or a story to tell. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's, it's such a beautiful tool in people being able to be more compassionate towards others. And, mm -hmm. and it kind of in going through all that, like it genuinely humbles one. Like, you know, you can't get up on your soapbox as much when you realize, and even when you're trying to, if you take it a step deeper and not just view what your words and, and your actions were on the surface, and if you really examine your intentions, you know, mm. was I being manipulative there? Like, was I being even honest? Like, I, I find it very funny that if I go around saying that you, you're a liar, like that someone, how dare you? Like... <laughs> But we we tell we can tell so many lies or we can give so many misdirect intentional misdirections and things like this. And just as long as somebody doesn't catch us, mm -hmm. we then start to to think that that's not part of us. It's it's mm -hmm. almost like the it has to be witnessed by somebody else for it to truly exist. Otherwise, we kind of hold it and think we get away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like we we cheat ourselves as well, you know, and tell ourselves these stories because. We have an image of ourselves who we want to be and nobody wants to be dishonest, cruel, um, you know, like maybe, I don't know, nasty or, you know, like we don't want to be these parts and yet we are. So like, who are we kidding? You know, like, yeah. and I think it's, it's so much nicer to connect through these parts as well and to say, yes, I am sometimes manipulative and it's not something I love about myself, but it's part of me. You yeah. know, or I'm unfair or I'm a cheetah or, you know, I have desires that I cannot voice openly. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, yeah, it's it's just so beautiful to see these parts of each other and acknowledge the pain that lies within that. And And I think we can connect more with somebody's joy and success when we've seen their dark part. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, that kind of very 
jarring kind of experience when people are just telling each other how wonderful they are and how wonderful their lives are and there's like almost this like static energy between them like where you're hey, yeah yeah I'm, I'm so happy yeah cool thumbs up yeah but it's kind of just that doesn't feel like it's there's any kind of wholesomeness to us to it I think because I'm just speaking generally here obviously but just because if I don't know all of you and I'm just getting a part of you how can I connect with you how can I be truly joyful for you if this is I'm only getting a, a small glimpse of of who or what your experience is so I, I think it's it's not to say that we can only connect through our suffering but I think it even enhances how we connect through our joy and and our successes and our victories and everything else when we do share the whole picture, like it, 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 it amplifies it all in, in my experience anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I feel this is where, as we talked about, like this deep connection arises, you know, like I remember, like I, I usually fall in love with people when I see them. Yes. Who yes, they yes. are and everything else is one dimensional. And I think the problem in our society is, like you talked about LinkedIn, for example, people talk about their therapy journeys or their healing journeys once they're done. Yes. Let's say done in, in quotation marks because you're never done. But like, you know, they, they talk about it once they came out of it. They never write, I'm in the biggest mess of my life. I'm currently going through a harsh divorce and I hate the guts of my partner and I cheated. You know, nobody tells you that. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. By the end, they say, oh, yeah, and then we did this conscious uncoupling and everything went out well and now we love our child and we you know grow it together and I'm stronger than ever blah 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 like that's beautiful yes and we should share those stories to like motivate others to go through uh, the dump of it but what what if we were to share those moments as well yeah. not with everyone maybe not on social media but like with the people we love and trust you know and say I don't know and sometimes I wake up and I don't know how to get through this day um, and not be as lonely in, in that experience, you know, until we think, okay, now I'm the hero, I made it through. Yes, um, but share the path with me as well. I've, I've had very similar thoughts before, and it's kind of, okay, I think it's wonderful that people are even retrospectively telling their story of suffering. That's a huge development if you, Jesus, mm -hmm. like if I think 15 years ago, Five, like even five years ago, just how much more kind of stories we're hearing of that nature. But as you said, like if we could tell it earlier in a, in a safe space, not to, you're just throwing it at, at everyone, if you know what I mean, just for even for your own well-being, I think. But just that it's not this uh, you're not just waiting for the, the kind of the hero's arc to be told because we it, it's kind of I don't know, it's not that impactful anymore, <laughs> you know. Okay, someone has a problem and by the time I get to the end of this uh, story, they're going to be wonderful and better than ever before and the, the pain, uh, the vulnerability has made them stronger and, and all of these things. Like, as I say, it's a lovely development, but there's, mm -hmm. there's so much more, I think, that we can, that we can afford, uh, kind of offer each other and offer ourselves because it mm -hmm. takes a lot of energy to maintain a very even surface kind of projection of yourself if that's not what's going on under the surface. And I think as well, it's, it doesn't have to be these big sharing your life story moments. I've noticed, even if you just let people know that like, oh, I had a fight with my partner this morning, you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that our relationship is on the rocks or something, but even just a small window, I've been stunned at just how much people open up with really big things. Then you, you, all they were looking for is just like, 
ah, like somebody's not bullshitting me here or somebody is letting me a little bit into their present world, not when they mm-hmm. suffered with depression six years ago or anxiety five years ago. They're letting me know about some ailment or difficulty right now. And that allows other people to step forward as well, I think. Yeah, and it eases this idea of why does everyone have their shit together, but I don't, apparently. Yeah. For everyone, it's for everyone it seems so easy, you know, they just go through life and everything falls into place. And that's not true, you know, for like I don't know anyone where that's actually the case, you know. Yeah. And to say, Yes, we love each other deeply in our relationship, but we have moments where I literally hate your guts, you know, <laughs> and that's just part of the game, you know, like um again a paradox, you know, I hate you while loving you. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is exactly what you're saying, like to to show that. Like I, I have heard it so many times when people go through divorce and the the families and friends they are informed at some point and they're like, You guys, really? I never thought that could happen. You seem so perfect. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we seem again. Yeah, exactly. You know, but underneath we have been maybe struggling for five years and nobody knows. You know, and it, this is like, why? Like, why can we not get support in when Yeah, when it's actually still, when it still could have an impact, you know, when it's not already done. Um, yeah, so I think I, I'm fully with you. Let's be more raw. Let's be more honest. Um, be more human. Yeah. If if you were to think on a on a structural level, or, or how would we even go about developing that more? Is this like a an organic thing that like almost a grassroots movement, or or how do you see Is it people leading by example in that or, or how do you kind of see that that developing? Yeah, I think it's like both. So, of course, if like I do that all the time, I share stories of myself. Um, again, stories, they are processed usually, mm. um, which is hard. Like for me, it's still hard to share in the moment how I feel because sometimes I don't know yet. Yeah. You know, I'm a therapist. I should be able to name everything, but I'm I'm not when it comes to myself. Like it's just hard. Um, but to invite people into that process and say, I don't know, do you have an idea? Like my partner's really good at pointing out like, you're anxious right now. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not anxious. You know, I'm like, oh. <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, damn, he's right. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> so sometimes even just like name two people who are allowed to mirror you fully, who don't have to hold back um, to say, yes, you are feeling this right now. I can sense it in my body, how anxious you are, you know, and it's okay that you cannot sense it yet. So I think like invite people in who are allowed to tell you Um is one part then of course sharing yourself whenever you open the door with vulnerability it's a, a true like the best invitation for others to be vulnerable as well um that's another part i think waiting for society to do that for us is <clears throat> a long wait right. <laughs> we're getting better but it's a very slow process um but Yeah, I think to lean in with curiosity and say, okay, I can sense that you're nervous right now. I can sense you're anxious. Let me look behind that curtain and ask, what is happening for you right now? Tell me more. Um, I know I'm here for you. Non-judgmental, like I'm just here listening um, is a beautiful way to reach out a hand. Yeah, but it's a long way. I mean, we we came a long way as well. I think therapy is something we can now, you know, just state like I am in therapy. Yeah. Um, which we couldn't for centuries almost. Um, so I'm, I'm very glad that this is happening, but we all can push the boundary a bit 
further and say we want more of each other um, because we deserve it and it's time yeah i think that's uh those are beautiful sentiments and i think you know from what you've been saying through this the idea of owning your story more like taking taking more even taking paying more attention to your to your own processes sharing sharing a bit more kind of handling this paradox uh, of life not trying to fix things showing up to life with a little bit more curiosity letting go of this kind of I don't know this uh, this weight that we're all carrying for like projecting perfection um, I think these there's so many and then just like more honest expression of, of how you're feeling I think there's been so many hopeful things that you pointed out over the course of this conversation um, as I as I told you, um, as I forewarned you at the start, one of the <laughs> questions I had, the question I ask at the end is just, uh, what is a good life for you? Um, and I'd, I'd like to hear your answer to that now too as well. I think a good life is a true life. And this is what I said in the beginning, like true in the sense of I'm not shying away from the raw, the the not understood, the shameful, the painful. Um, it's true, true in that sense of all the parts of me can be lived, expressed, figured out, sorted out, get rid of. You know, like I'm allowed to be work in progress. Um, that for me is a good life because that means I'm living it, I'm not faking it, I'm not hiding parts of myself, but I'm embracing them with curiosity and love and care and I meet people for who they are not for who I want them to be yeah that's a good life and a good life is of course it comes with circumstances that are good for us um, that nurture us that serve us that help us heal um, and I know it's not available for everyone, but to say, how can I support others on their journey as well? If they don't have the same privileges as I do, that's also a good life, you know, to co-create a good life for others when we are invited. Yeah, and with that approach, I think even when you were saying it, I felt a lot of like space or something like, you know, life didn't feel so claustrophobic or something like that. We can play with this a little bit, like that there's an openness to it and, and just kind of dropping some of these ideas of I know everything, I know the answer, I can, I know the absolute solution. Uh, so I think those are, are really kind of beautiful and helpful closing sentiments as well. Uh, Nora, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for opening the beauty of life. <laughs>